Support for Docs Outside the Box comes from Set for Life Insurance. Set for Life means set for less. Their clients get access to the largest portfolio of discounts and unisex rates available nationwide. Check them out at setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Hey docs, are you looking to learn how to become a physician leader? Then Physician CEO is for you. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program designed for physicians and developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. So learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. What's good, everyone? Thank you for joining me for another episode. This is your boy, Dr. Nee, and we're here for Docs Outside the Box. I'm recording this actually on election day. By the time this comes out, though, we're going to be at least six, seven days past that point. But I hope you all got a chance to fulfill your civic duties. Hope you all got a chance to get to the voting booths and rock the vote. Now, me and my wife, we voted as a family, brought our son. He's too young, really, to understand you know, all of this and what's going on. But we just hope through osmosis that the spirit gets passed along to him. And when he becomes 18, you know, he gets that civic duty that he needs to go out there and vote also. Some quick housekeeping tips, though. As I always say, this is a craft that I'm continuing to work on. I'm talking about me podcasting. So I'm always interested. I'm always looking for feedback. So please let me know how I'm doing. The best way is to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I read each and every one of them. And if you think that I'm doing a great job, go ahead and hook me up with a five-star review. As I said in the past, a five-star review really helps the show to grow. It really helps it to become that much more visible to new podcast listeners. Also, one thing I want to talk about is that there are mad physicians. There are a lot of physicians who are entering the podcast space. And it becomes really hard to find out, one, the names of their podcasts, two, you know, where to find these podcasts. So I went ahead and created a podcast directory. I've talked about this in the past. It's very easy to find some of the up and coming podcasts that are out there. If you go to my website, docsotb.com, hit forward slash podcast hyphen listing. And there you'll find the most up to date list of all the podcasts that are out there by physicians. It's continuing to be updated. So, you know, if you don't see it and there's a podcast that you think needs to be up there, go ahead and let me know. I will leave the link to that directory in the show notes. All right. On this episode of Docs Outside the Box, I have Dr. Bonnie Koo from the website MissBonnieMD.com. I'm really excited about this episode. She's one of my five favorite physician personal finance blogs that I read, and I actually listed it as one of the top five personal finance blogs that I think you all should be reading to make you a financially fit doc outside the box. Now, I caught up with her at FinCon 18 in Orlando a couple of months ago, and I've been meaning to get her on my show, and just because of scheduling issues, could never make it happen. But 
since we were there, we found an empty room. We started recording and, you know, we just let it happen. And it was a spontaneous live interview. And I really enjoy those just because, you know, I just think that you can really get to know someone. You can really feel the energy more so than just interviewing them over the computer. So I always enjoy live interviews. And on this episode, we talk about her going from being a pre-med one day literally to living and making six figures in London. That's right, the country of England, the next. And although she was living her best life financially, she still had the urge to become a doctor. So she pivoted, went back to medical school, and yeah, just like most of us, got a whole bunch of student loan debt. And she did not let that student loan debt stop her from taking control of her life financially. And now as a dermatologist, She's doing well financially, obviously, as a dermatologist, but she's also created her own personal finance blog for women physicians and just physicians in general to learn about personal finance. And as I said before, it's called MissBonnieMD.com. So things that you're going to learn on this episode, you're going to learn how she didn't fall into the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck, even living in New York City. We're going to hear the fascinating story behind her student loan debt payoff. She's going to let us know why personal finances are so different for women versus men. And she even gives us a glimpse into why she talks about blended families, as well as we talk a little bit about prenups and divorces. So make sure y'all listen to this one. Obviously, she's going to answer hashtag, I'm not just a doc, but this is a good one. Let me know what y'all think. Remember to give us a five-star review if you really enjoyed this episode. And without further ado, I present Dr. Bonnie Koo. Dr. Bonnie Koo, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's up? What's good? Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. It's been a long time. We've been kind of playing email tag back and forth and missing each other. Yeah. But we're here at FinCon in Orlando, Florida, and we finally decided to take this opportunity to get you on the show. Glad we made it work. Hell yeah. How you doing though? Overall, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad I'm here. I almost didn't make it here. Well, let's hear the backstory. What's up with that? Well, I bought a ticket to FinCon you know, when it first came out about a year ago, I was like, oh yeah, I'll go next year. I didn't go last year because I was due like a week before the conference. So that just wouldn't work. So I bought the ticket and then, you know, I just got overwhelmed with being a new mom. I moved to a new city. And I just thought, you know, I don't really have time for this. I'm, I'm going to take a break. And so I actually sold my ticket. And then Harry Reynolds of the Democratic Hustle was visiting me for podcast. I think we, we know met. her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we know her. That's where I met you. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you got to go. You got to go. And just like that, then I was like, okay, I got to find a ticket on the black market, literally, because it was sold out. You're talking about this year? Yeah, this year. Really? Yeah. There's a black market for FinCon Not tickets? a black market, but you know, people who can't go, <laughs> you buy their ticket and there's okay. a, tran- you know, a small transfer fee because the full price ticket keeps going up. So anyway, now I'm here. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you're here. This is my first time coming to FinCon. This is your first yeah, time overall? Yeah, my first time too. It's been a great time right? We get a chance to meet personally, get a chance to meet all these different podcasters, all these different bloggers who blog obviously about personal finance. But the reason I have you on the show is obviously Ms. Bonnie MD, the website. Your podcast specifically is on helping independent women find financial clarity. It's very popular among podcasters and among bloggers. So let's learn a little bit about you. Let's learn a little bit about the backstory. So let's take it back to the eighth grade, the seventh grade. Let's learn about (laughs) Bonnie Koo. As an eighth grader, who was she? Where was she living? All of that. Sure. So I was actually born in Korea, South Korea. We moved here when I was two, going back a little bit before eighth grade. But fast forward to eighth grade, I was living in New Jersey, central New Jersey, not too far from where Rutgers is. 
So and like the New Brunswick area? Exactly, New Brunswick area. I grew up in Irvington, so that's not too far. Okay. So right next to Newark, so not too far. Okay. Yeah, so I was a, I'm a Jersey girl. Mm-hmm. And I went to college at Barnard College in New York City. Okay. It's all-girls school of Columbia. Majored in biochemistry. Mm. I was pre-med. And then I took a detour, which I'm not sure you know about, or most people know about. Come on, this is docs outside the box. <laughs> Keep it real. So what kind of detour did you take? So I actually worked in information technology at Morgan Stanley. So I wasn't a bank or a finance person. I was a computer person, which I had no background in, except for the fact that my part-time job during college was to work at the computer lab. And most of the computer lab people were computer science majors. Honestly, one day I was a a senior in college and I was a little burnt out. I was studying for the MCAT, but I was kind of like, oh, I'm sort of tired of studying. And they're like, hey, you want to work at Morgan Stanley? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, they might send you to London for six months. I'm like, sign Hmm. me up. (laughs) I mean, you know. But you had your MCATs though that you had to... I canceled the MCAT class. Damn. Yep. Okay. And then the next thing I knew, I had a job and they're like, okay, the first six months are in London, like they said. So I was an expat for six months, which is an incredible thing. So I got paid in US dollars. They put me up in this two-bedroom corporate apartment. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Let's take a step back. Yeah. So let's get to the point where you're like, okay, I got this job. Like, did you tell your parents, like, look, I'm like taking a detour. I'm not going to go to medical school anymore. I'm going to go into the finance world or IT world. Like, how did that go? Yeah, I don't remember their reaction. I think they were fine with it. Okay. I think my mom actually, I remember she actually did not want me to go to medical school, which is really weird for a Korean mom, right? Okay. I think she just thought it'd be too much work. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, why do you want to work so hard? So I think she was happy that I found a job. It paid pretty well at the time. It was right before the tech bubble burst. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like 99, 2000? Exactly. I graduated college in 99. So starting salary was incredible. London, all expenses paid. I lived on Park Lane, which is right across from Hyde Park. I had my own corporate apartment. My fondest memory of that apartment was that I had a heated towel stand. That's a big deal though, right? <laughs> I've never had one before. Okay. I was there for six months and it was great. I was there for training. They trained you. So they basically hired people like me, but also experienced programmers to just kind of groom them. Then you actually applied for a job within the company. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was a Unix systems administrator. Do you know what that means? I've heard of Unix, yeah. So I managed this Unix systems at Morgan Stanley. I had the root password. Those IT geeks out there, you know, that it's a big deal to have the root password to Mm -hmm. a big company like Morgan Stanley. But it's all tracked though. So I couldn't do anything crazy with that. But I worked there for four years total. Mm. And my original goal was like, oh, I'll just work there for a year, then I'll apply to med school. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of like the original plan. But then my second year there, they gave me a ridiculous raise. And so I actually made six figures at the age of 23. Okay. And so I was like, oh, I'll just stay another year. <laughs> okay. Then what happened year three? Well, year three, basically I was like, you know, I still want to go to med school. But you're making this ridiculous salary though. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened. Okay. And I was in New York City for 9-11. But my thought to go back to med school happened before 9-11, 9-11 kind of solidified. I said, you know, life is short. I got to do what I want. And my boss was actually super supportive. They actually let me work part-time for two months so I could study for the MCAT mm. and didn't reduce my pay at all. Wow. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. So it's a long story, but then I went to med school and then- Did you miss that world at all? Did you miss the, is this IT or financial world or- IT. IT world. Did you miss that at all or? No. Okay. All right. I loved working there because I worked with really smart people. And I think that's kind of was my, you know, like, I feel like, you know, we went to medicine because we're intellectuals, we need to be stimulated. And I was with super smart IT people, people who are like really big in their fields. And I'm still friends with a lot of them today. They've all moved on. They don't work at Morgan Stanley anymore. But it was nice to just be in an environment with like really smart people. But at the end of the day, I was on call for a computer. You know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Like, hey, it's three in the morning. I lost my password. This is an emergency. Like, yeah, two different things. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So you decide to go back. You're in medical school. What med school is this now? 
I went to Columbia University in New York City. Okay. All right. That was a great experience. That was my first choice. So it worked out and I had a really great time there. I met some really great friends there. I was interested in dermatology from first year, I remember, which I think is a little unusual. I think most people discovered derm kind of later in med school. So I kind of knew that early on. And then I took a year off during med school to do research at UCSF in psoriasis and then residency at UC Irvine. Okay. So you went across the country, mm-hmm. you're in California, you're living that Cali life, doing dermatology. Yep. And then you came back to New York. Is that what happened or? Yep. I moved back to New York City. And then the day I was single and I thought, well, I wanted to be home and I thought I'd have a better chance of meeting someone in New York City. Okay. All right. And so I did. We'll go into that later. And then my first job was actually in academics. Okay. All right. Let's fast forward a little bit to you starting the blog. Like, What was the impetus to start Ms. Bonnie MD? So it all started because I was in this Facebook group. So it's a Facebook group for women physicians and it's specifically for finance. And my friend added me because she kind of knew that I was interested in that topic. And when I joined the group, I think there were like three to 5,000 members. I noticed people were asking lots of questions and people weren't really answering. Or they were, but they were all the wrong answers. And I was like, wow. I was like, I guess I know this stuff. And I just started answering people's questions. You knew this from your work back in the finance slash IT world or no. just how did you get this knowledge? People think that, but I actually knew nothing about it. I was like horrible with money and actually it was my last year of residency and I overheard two co these two guys and they always talked about money. So that wasn't like new to me, but I guess one day I was kind of like, hey, like, how do you know that stuff? Mm-hmm. I just, for whatever reason, I can't remember why. And they're like, oh, you should read The White Coat Investor. Ah, and gotcha. so I literally ordered that book that night and got it two days later at Amazon Prime and I read it in like a day. I mean, it's such a quick read. And I read it and I was like, wow. Like, how come I didn't know this stuff before? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just started reading his blog. The and whole new the rest, world. Exactly. Okay. The whole new world. And the rest is kind of history. Like the Disney song. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, fast forward to joining this group and I just started answering all these questions because at this point I was like a year into like my financial education. So I, you know, knew a few things and things I knew people were just asking questions and tagging me in posts to get my, you know, advice. And then some girlfriends were like, you should start a blog. And I, Honestly, my first response was like, why could investor blogs already there? Like, I don't need to write anything. Like, he already wrote everything. Cause when I have a question, I literally Google white coat investor and then the topic and I find a post on it. So I guess in my mind, I thought, well, here you wrote about everything. What would I add to that? But my girlfriends kept bugging me. And so then it was born. I started a year and a half ago. Mm, that's some really big success for only doing this for a year. It's not too bad. Yeah. Any feelings of like imposter syndrome at all when you started your? Oh, totally. Your blog? Well, not even the blog. When I even was starting answering questions on the Facebook, I remember like getting really scared. Like, oh my God, what if it's the wrong They're thing? They're going to find me out. What if like, you know, it's incorrect. It's not like I was thinking of myself as an expert and I would like double check my answers. And I, you know, when you put yourself out there online, at least at first, it's a little scary, you know? So one thing that's really cool on your website is, at least on your About Me pages, you talk about how much student loan debt that you were in at one point. Now, according to this, you pretty much have paid that all off. You know, obviously you don't really see many doctors pay off their student loans as quick as you did. Obviously, I understand how that works. Also, me and my wife paid off a whole bunch of student loan debt. Yeah. What was that process like? Take us through, you know, what were the things that made you successful in paying off your student loan debt so fast? So I had some help, which I'll go into in a second. But I think the one thing I'm so grateful for is that I discovered personal finance, you know, Jim's blog before I finished residency, you know, before I had that uptick in income. Because before I graduated, I was like, I already knew. I'm like, I'm going to max out my 403B. I'm going to max out all my retirement accounts and then I'll see what's left. And then I'll put that towards whatever loan spending, et cetera. And I was in New York City. So it was very expensive to live there. 
And so if I didn't do that, like I could totally see my financial life just going a totally different way. Like mm. I probably would have been still living paycheck to paycheck and living the large life in New York City, to be Shoes honest. with the red bottoms, Ubering all through New York. I still have those, but yes. <laughs> How many do you have? I have four pairs. What? <laughs> well, now you can sell them on, what website is out there right now where you can sell them? I'm not selling them. Okay, got you. I wear I got them. You. <laughs> Audience, if you could see her face when she literally like clutched them imaginary wise, like she's not looking at them at all. I got you. All right. Uh, All right. But back to the student loans. But I definitely sort of, you know, espoused uh, Jim's advice to pay them off within five years. You know, the first year I didn't make as much headway as I wanted to, probably because, you know, I wasn't in New York City at the end of the day. And I did think about, oh, should I get a roommate, like to save money? And I just thought, you know what? I'm 38 years old. I can't have a roommate. I just put my foot down. I was like, I'm going to live alone. So, you know, my rent was higher than it should have been. But, you know, I refinanced some loans. So I refinanced all of my 6.8% to a lower rate. And then all my other loans were luckily only two or 3% because I had them back in the day. And then I think I was on track to pay them off within five years for sure. But then I met my fiance and we decided to move to Philadelphia from Brooklyn. And because of that- I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. It's not the same, but it's all right. It's definitely not the same. And he sold his Brooklyn condo. Oh, wow. Okay. And so it made a lot of money because it had more than quadrupled in price. And he basically said, why don't we just pay off your debt? And you're like, I was like, okay. What? <laughs> I was like, he mentioned that before. And I didn't want to like count on that, you know, but I, because it was really touching when he was like, you know, it's, you know, my money's your money. So it's like, let's just become debt free and start fresh, you know? Awesome. That's the approach that me and my wife took actually, is that her debt was my debt. My debt was her debt. Mm-hmm. And we kind of combined funds and we lived off of my wife's salary. And then we used my salary to pay off the significant no, amount of debt. I heard your debt strength. That was... I mean, you guys were super intentional. Yeah, yeah, we weren't playing. It's worth it though, right? Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Just the fact that we Mm -hmm. can be here and not have that stress of having to be at work, you know, it it definitely pays for itself. And if you give me an opportunity, I just want to, you know, pivot a little bit because, you know, on my podcast, I try to feature voices that are as diverse as possible. People who don't normally get a seat at the table. I really like to feature them on the show just so we can get a diverse amount of voices, diverse amount of solutions and so forth. Now, on your website, you focus on personal finance for doctors, but obviously you focus also on personal finance for women physicians. Why is that important? Like, Talk to me about why that is such a big deal. What's different between my finances versus a woman physician? Well, lots of things. Well, first, I just want to preface that, you know, now women are half of all medical school classes. That's amazing. Not half of the physician workforce yet, but we'll get there. So that's part of it. And then, you know, because we're women physicians, we're often the breadwinners. Many of us are married to other physicians, but not all of us are. And, you know, some of us are like, I'm a dermatologist. And even if I was married to a physician, unless they were also a dermatologist or radiologist or something, like they'd probably be making less than me. So I think when you're a breadwinning woman physician, there's just, I don't want to say pressure, but there is some pressure. You got to learn how to manage your money because you're making a lot of money. You got to pay off debt. And then women often have children. Not Mm. all of us, but many of us do. And that just adds, and I got to tell you now that I'm a mom now, like it adds a whole, I want to say complications, but just like it adds to your mental load. You know, like I'm a dermatologist, I'm a mom. And then as a woman who is with a partner, with a kid, like, you know, usually women are the ones running the household, managing logistics of the kids. You know, I'm the one who makes sure there's like paper towels available in the household. The other day, Matt was like, oh, we've got one Tide Pod left. And I was like, why don't you order it? Is Amazon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hit the charge button. What is it? The dash button? I you know? know. You know, 
I manage all that right now. And so it's just a lot of like physician and CEO of the house. It's a lot of stuff to juggle. And so I just think, yeah, women, I think it's hard for them to, it's not hard for them to a man, but like if a man's not doing those things, it's like there's many things that they can't relate to. It's hard to identify with someone who's not going through the similar situation that you are. And I think, you know, part of it is I want to show women that, you know, you can learn to manage your finances despite being a full-time physician, you know, full-time mom, full-time housewife, all that stuff all in one. And it's challenging for sure. Do you ever feel, you know, that women physicians, there's this guilt, right, of having to stay home and raise a child versus, you know, not really being able to go back to work or feeling that you have to go back to work? Like what's most important? What's the priority? Mm -hmm. And then also at the same time, if you decide to stay at home at work, then you're losing out on, you know, putting money towards social security, putting money towards retirement and so forth. So there's like this big lag that women physicians have to deal with that men physicians don't have to deal with. Like I don't have to take time off from work, from getting an income, which would, you know, make my retirement bigger. Like, let's talk about that. What are your thoughts on that? There's so much mom guilt. I mean, now that I'm a mom and it's, everyone says like your world changed when you become a parent. I mean, you know this and there's so much mom guilt. Like you are like, basically like you are judged if you're working and you're a mom. And you're judged if you're a stay-at-home mom. Like you can't win. Mm -hmm. You get judged by like everyone. So I think at the end of the day, it's your life. It's your child. Like I think the mom ultimately decides what's best for her and her family. And that's going to be different for every woman. Like for some women, that's going to be working part-time. For some, that's going to mean being home. There definitely are women physicians who decided not to go back to work at all. That's definitely a very small percentage. But I think a lot of women choose to work part-time. And then there's plenty of women who don't choose to work part-time and they're working very full-time and they have a lot of help at home to do that. And that works for some women that doesn't work for everyone. So I think it's just figuring out what works for you. And that one thing I've learned is the process, right? It's not like one day you're like, oh, this is the right thing for my family, but in a year it might not. So I think you just have to be open to the fact that your needs and what you want are going to evolve over time. And now a word from our sponsor. Understanding how to run a business in medicine will put you at a unique advantage in the future. Whether it's leading a hospital, practice, or starting a new venture, the Physician CEO program will put you in focus from day one. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. The Physician CEO program provides an intensive MBA-style education made up of modules, with each module covering topics from leadership to entrepreneurial ventures. Because of their individualized structure, each participant leaves the program with their one, three, and even five-year business plan, all designed to function in the real world. If you're a physician who's looking to start your own venture, lead your practice or department, or even start planning for succession out of medicine, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. I love that answer. I love it. It's almost like an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. with what's going on. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Farnoosh Tarabi. I love her podcast. I'm sure you, Me listen, too, to, yeah. <laughs> you listen to that podcast also. And the one thing that I really enjoy about her podcast is, you know, although she has a focus on women entrepreneurs or even the personal finance of women, it's obviously a podcast that someone like me as a man can identify with. I use a lot of her tips. It's helped me and my wife pay off a lot of our student loan debt and also with our investment options. So I think I get that same sense with your blog. I love it. Thank you. It's really great. And obviously I featured it as one of my top five blogs that doctors should be listening to if they want to be a doc outside the box. So, you know, tell me, who inspires you right now at this point 
in terms of blogging or in terms of podcasting or in the fintech world? Is there anybody out there that you're like, man, like, I love what this person is doing to really inspire me to continue to do what I'm doing? I don't think it's just any one person. I'm obviously Jim is like the original OG, basically. So Dr. Jim Dolly yeah, with Jim the white coat investor. Yeah, I mean, you know. Triple OG. Triple OG. Because depending on how long. Yeah, I think it's just, it's funny. Even when I started, even now, because there's so many other physician finance bloggers now and people ask like, oh, why, there's so many now. Like, There's a lot. And then some people get fatigued, like some readers, not other bloggers are like, oh, like there's so many. Kind of like poo-pooing all these people jumping on. But you know what? There's a lot of work to be done. Me. Like even last week, I was just meeting a bunch of new physicians. You know, I can get a little annoying and I always ask, hey, have you heard of the white coat investor? That's kind of like my opening line. And I just assumed everyone heard of him, but most people haven't. They're like, oh, one person's like, oh yeah, I've heard that name before. Other people are like, I don't know who that is. And then when I talk about finances and that I do this, they're just like, oh, that's such an important topic or I don't know anything about that. And so basically what I'm trying to say is there is a lot of work to be done. And so I just feel like the more voices out there and, you know, I'm a woman physician and I think there's actually a few other, you know, newer women physician blog. And I feel like there's, there's plenty of education to be done. And everyone, I think people tend to relate to certain people better than others. So I just feel like the more, the better, to be yeah, honest. I underscore that. That's definitely a really good point. Not everybody's voice resonate with everyone, right? right? And I always say there's not a unique message out there right now, right? Everything that you can know about or learn about personal finance is out there. It's either in a book or it's in a blog or it's in a podcast, what have mm-hmm. you, but there are unique messengers, right? So your right. story is very unique. It goes more so deeper than just personal finance. Like you also write about blended families. Right. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So in case any of the listeners don't know what that means, traditional families, you know, first marriage, both people's first marriage and they have children together. That's sort of the more typical setup. And then blended families is if someone comes in with a child from a previous relationship or marriage, hence blended families. So I do have a stepson. He's 12. He's in sixth grade. He lives primarily with his mom about two hours away. So we don't have him a whole lot. I would say we have him part-time. And so that has its challenges mentally, you know, and financially. And and it's different, you know, it's harder than I thought. And I think I have a pretty good setup. Like you said, like it's hard, it's challenging, and it's extremely personal. Like, why do you write about it? Like, what's the impetus to put that out there like that? Because most people don't really talk about that stuff. Well, I basically write about what pertains to my life. Mm. So there's a reason why there's nothing about real estate in my blog because I don't do real estate. <laughs> I got you. That's I just feel an example. You. you know, I started just learning more about the financial impact of blended families, like things you had to know. So for example, Matt and I aren't married. And part of it's for financial reasons, but part of it's also because of the blended family aspect, mainly because I actually spoke to two lawyers about this and they actually told me, if you're okay with not getting married, don't get married until you graduate college. And I was like, oh, why? I just assumed I'd have to wait till he was 18 because when child support ends. And then they said, oh, your income will be imputed for his financial aid, even though you're not his biological parent. So stepchildren get four parental incomes towards financial aid. That's messed up, Mm -hmm. right? Because no one's going to qualify. Right. You know, unless all four parents make like nothing, right? right? And so it's not that I'm not going to help him with college. I just don't want someone forcing me to do it. I understand. And I appreciate you getting real like that. Yeah. I really do. So like I said, our money's pooled and we don't split things 50-50 between, you know, the kids, but I just, you know, don't want someone legally saying, well, you got to put 50 grand a year towards their college. And that's just, anyway. How does that resonate with your readers? Do you find your readers and the comments or the feedback mainly being more on the personal finance aspect or more on the blended family aspect also? Or is it just kind of... I think just all, I mean, obviously blended families are not a very small percentage, so... That's even a smaller niche of my population who reads my blog. But I think 
a lot of women are in my position where we are the breadwinning partner and we want to make sure our finances are in order. And we also, you know, the divorce risk is real. So I talk about prenups and divorce pretty freely, which a lot of people don't. We want prenup. We want prenup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just getting that, making that less taboo. Mm-hmm. Karen, and I just put out a, an episode about prenup where we just talk about it. And then people don't even really know anything about it. Like they hear prenup and they're like, oh, that's that. Ooh, that's, don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So you demystify the prenups. A little bit. And then I write about the fact that when you marry someone, you're signing a contract mm-hmm. and people don't think of it that way because they think, oh, it's for love. And I think everyone should marry for love and you are signing a legal contract in your state. And then so I think it's just a little naive to not understand what you're signing yourself up for. Mm-hmm. And if the divorce rate was zero, then it's moot, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And so that's my answer. I just say the divorce rate isn't zero. I think people get upset if I just talk about other things, but I think it's just trying to really stick to the numbers. Like, you know, most physicians, they can get up, we're like, oh yeah, I got to buy life insurance, got to buy disability insurance. And, you know, the divorce rates are high, like, I don't know the exact numbers, but they're definitely higher than dying or getting disabled. I think we can agree with that. Mm-hmm. But people don't have divorce insurance, right. which is what a prenup is, essentially. I didn't think about it that way. Okay. That's basically what it is. And it's not even so much to get the prenup to like talk about, oh, this is how we're going to divvy things up if things don't work out. But it's kind of a prelude to have that, you got to talk about your finances before you get married. Mm-hmm. So getting on the same page, you know, and that's part of that sort of what I call financial checklist before getting married. And however uncomfortable that conversation is, it still needs to be had. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's such an important topic to discuss finances with. Like, I mean, the second month I started dating Matt, I think I actually asked him, like, what's your balance in your retirement Damn, Dr. Bonnie, really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> How did he take it? It was like, uh... He was really cool with it. I think it sounds weird out of context, but it was just being like, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, dating someone who just didn't, it's not because like of whether he had money or not, but just being responsible enough to be saving for his future. Like two months in, like you guys are really serious at this point then, right? I think when you're older, it just gets serious faster. You just like put up with like right? enough of the BS and just, you know. Or just say like, go big or go home, right? So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, look, I want to pivot a little bit because you, you know, in the previous question, you were answering how. You know, like there's still a lot of work to be done out there Mm -hmm. within the personal finance room with physicians. And I still kind of look at it like we're all different silos, right? Right. People in podcasting don't necessarily blog. People who blog don't necessarily do podcasting. And then within the blogging realm, like people don't really communicate with each other. But you're on a different level. You not (laughs) only blog, but you also podcast, right? You podcast with Dr. Carrie Reynolds with Hippocratic Hustle. She was a previous guest on this show and did a really good job on this show. So tell us about that relationship that you have with Hippocratic Hustle. Yeah. So she just messaged me on Facebook and was like, Hey, you want to do like a little finance sub series in her podcast? And I was like, did you guys know each other before that? Nope. She just messaged me. She actually sent me a box of uh, dessert. What? <laughs> just out of the blue? Well, not, not out of the blue. You? Like- <laughs> Maybe that was to tell your motive, but it did work. It was very good toffee. I actually emailed Jim just to help with an issue she was having. So she asked me for advice and I was like, you know, I don't know, but let me email Jim. I think I CC'd her and he ended up helping her out. And I think she just was so grateful that I connected her and got some answers. Next thing I knew, a little box of dessert showed up on my door. Damn. So Wait, wait, hold on a second. Because I know I took her through a strategy session with locums and I didn't get Jack. Dr. Carrie Windows, if you're listening out there, I want my box of toffee, all right? <laughs> you done told on her now. <laughs> I know, I'm like, sorry, my, go ahead, go ahead. My go box ahead. Of dessert? Right. So anyway. Some time had passed and then she was 
starting this podcast. And then she, so she asked me and, you know, this is before I was pregnant and this is when I had a lot more free time. You know how it is before kids. It's like just so much free time. At right. least I did. And then I said, sure. And then it just got started that way. We just started recording and it's, well, as you know, it's much more fun to talk than to write. At least for me, it is. Yeah. I can't stand writing. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I'm not a good writer. And so it was just Wait, easier to but talk. You blog. It's work though, you know? Okay. I got you. Yeah. All I'm right. not a natural writer. I got to like really sit down and focus and it's been harder to do that lately. But with a podcast, we just kind of like make a rough outline. Like we do plan that in advance and then, but we just talk off the cuff and it's so much easier. And if we don't like the way it sounds, we just edit it out. So. Right, right, right. So you guys kind of just talk about personal finance and, you know, whatever you want from a yeah. friend standpoint. I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, we try to make it really conversational versus like a, you know, a lecture format. I think you were saying earlier, it's been hard for you to go to lectures here because like we were all like got PTSD from med school. Yeah, you know? I can't pay attention anymore, really. Yeah. You know, so it's really about networking and talking. And if someone can make it like an audio format, I'm down. But like just sitting down and just... The whole lecture, it just, like you said, it just brings it back to med school and residency and yeah. just can't do it. No, it's been really fun recording the podcast and there's so many topics to talk about. I think the feedback we've gotten is that they love that it's kind of conversational. It's not just like, okay, now we're going to talk about this and this is how you do this. Like, that's just boring, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, look, we're getting towards the end of the interview, but let's do some fast fire questions sure. where I just ask you something. You tell me what comes off the top of your dome piece, okay? Okay. Down, you game? I'm game. All right. What's one thing you want people to get from this podcast? Well, hopefully women are listening. I guess I hope that they can relate to me and that they learn something about their finances. You know, the biggest, I think, sort of thing I get from doing this is when I get those private messages. I'm sure you do too, saying like, thank you so much. You really helped me. And when people give specific examples of how I changed their life or helped them with my life, that's priceless. I love it. I love it. All right. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself as a pre-med? Oh my God, so much stuff. I think the one thing, just because I was so bad at this, is you just got to live within your means. If you can live at least within your means as a resident and then as attending, then you'll live below your means. But living with your means, I didn't live within my means at all. So, Hence the four red bottom shoes that you have. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> What's one life hack or piece of technology that you use right now that makes your life easier? So I have this young woman who comes to our house three times a week. And her job, and I basically told her, I'm like, she's someone else's part-time nanny. And so she was vetted by another physician mom. She basically comes over and tidies up and organizes. I told her my goal was to come home to a clean, tidy home, just mentally just coming home where like countertops are clean, auto dishwasher, put away. She folds her laundry and puts it away. And that's been worth it. I love it. I think we actually think alike because I'm the same way. If mm -hmm. the house is tidy, like it just helps declutter my thoughts exactly. and I can actually work better. And when the house is very messy, I come home and the number one thing I need to do is fix up before I can actually I can get work done. So kudos to you on that one. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So what's the most influential book, podcast? I know it's Doc's House Out the Box, but audio book <laughs> <laughs> that you're listening to, that you're reading? Oh, let's see. What am I reading these days? Well, the book I'm reading right now, I haven't finished, but I love it so far is that, I can't remember the name, but it's that negotiation book by that former FBI oh, yeah. guy. Yes, I'm reading it right now. About? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think the name of the book is called Never Split the Difference, I think. Yes, by Craig awesome. Voss, I think. Awesome. I got name. the audio version because it's kind of boring to read, I think. So listening to it is for me. I had the audio version, but I was, it's funny. I was actually thinking, oh, I don't like this guy's voice. I might have to go buy the book. You know, the narrator makes a big difference. Yes, it does. It makes a big difference. Yep. It's really helped me out with reading because... You know, sometimes reading, you just don't have time. But if you could just listen, particularly on a long drive, you really can make, you know, some really good progress on yep. the books, you know. Who's your biggest fan? Who's my biggest fan? Yeah, who's your biggest fan? Oh, I don't know. Harry Reynolds? 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing that you're proud of that nobody else knows about? I think is, well, my close friends know, but I guess the general readership probably doesn't know is that I had to apply to dermatology three times to get in. Really? And that's why one of those red bottom shoes were bought because when I didn't match the first time, I bought, my, I bought myself two pairs as therapy. Got you. I love it. I love it. Okay. Thanks for sharing that actually. Yeah. So I want you to complete this sentence, hashtag, I'm not just a doc, I'm a... Woman physician blogger. I love it. Well, Dr. Bonnie, thank you so much for being on Docs Outside the Box. I really appreciate you being on the show. I really, like I said before, I really think that it's really important to have diverse voices out there. Not everybody's voice, you know, really resonates with everyone. I think what you're doing is really great. I think women, personal finance is just as important as anybody else's. And just want to say kudos to you. I just want to acknowledge you for what you're doing and keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Nee. And that's a wrap. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. I had a really good time recording this. Like I said, it was done last minute, though. It was at FinCon in Orlando. We just saw each other and said, hey, look, let's make it happen. So we found a quiet room and, you know, the rest is history. If you want to continue to follow Dr. Bonnie Koo, please make sure you follow her on her website, MissBonnieMD.com. That's with an M-I-S-S, as well as on Instagram at MissBonnieMD. Don't forget, she also co-hosts a podcast with Dr. Carrie Reynolds from Hippocratic Hustle called Friends Talk Finance. It's really off the chain. Make sure you follow her there. I'm going to catch you guys on the next episode. But before I jet, remember one thing. We only got one life. Let's make it count and live outside the box. Peace.